So basically, by not knowing much about the business and by not having any BS around the business, which means belief systems or bullshit, I simply flowed with the energy of it. It was amazing. It was guided. There are so many synchronicities and coincidences. And I witness this all the time where people come in and their minds are about ready to explode. You can see their grit in their teeth and they're like, how are you doing this? It's like by being present, by just simply doing the right thing at the right time and fully committing. I was fully committed to that. And now with a lot more presence, I am fully committed to this. So welcome back to Better Than Rich Show. Mike Abramowitz here. I'm going to be interviewing and having a conversation with Jim Gale. And he is the founder of Food Forest Abundance. We go into a few conversation topics that we've never had on the show before. We talk about permaculture, which I did not know what that was. And we defined it on the show. We talk about how Jim was able to scale his mortgage company in three and a half years from zero to a billion dollars. And then... He talks about how he lost it all. He went from having $20 million in the bank to being negative 80,000. So he gives us a masterclass of what not to do. I ask him as lessons and pitfalls on what to avoid in this episode, which I thought was really timely for individuals specifically right now as the, the market is correcting in certain places. So I think you'll learn a couple of really great best practices of what he would do differently. But we spend most of our time talking about how we can replace our lawns of our homes with food sources and he goes and talks about his recent conversation with Bobby Kennedy. He talks about his claim on how he could end world hunger, how he could create world peace with his shifts. He's having conversations with politicians. He has a plan that he's presenting to President Donald Trump, to also to his Ron DeSantis. He has conversations with politicians, influencer, super intelligent, very educated. And we even talk a little bit about some conspiracy theory boundaries there that we might explore. Very fun conversation, though. I think you'll enjoy it with Jim Gale. Get ready for another great episode of The Better Than Rich Show. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I'm your host today, Mike Abramowitz, and I am here with Jim Gale. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. It's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to this combo. I know we were uh, connected by Matt Drinkon from the Eternal Optimist podcast. He was also a guest on our podcast as well, has an unbelievable story with his broken back and recovery and everything that he's done in the business arena. Listener, if you have not checked out Matt Drinkon's episode on our show, please do. And if you haven't checked out his podcast, The Eternal Optimist, I highly recommend it. And Jim, I'm looking forward to our combo because this topic is actually a first for our listener. And cool. I know your message is to empower people to grow food instead of lawns without poison. And yeah. This is a fairly unique niche with food forest abundance. I would love for you to just give our listener the origin story, what that means, why that's important to you, but also why might this be important for them as we just dive right into what are we here to talk about today, please? We're here to talk about freedom on every conceivable level. What I'm going to share with you today Victor Hugo summed it up a couple hundred years ago when he said there's one thing stronger than all of the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. 
What I'm going to share with you and your listeners today is the idea that will reverse mass extinction and deforestation, cancer, diabetes, and heart disease trends. It will end world hunger, and it will end tyranny. And it's embarrassingly simple. In fact, another quote to pull out of the archives is Bill Mollison. He's one of the founders of permaculture. He said, though the problems of our world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. The solution to all the world's problems is when we take the poisons out of our life and we grow food instead of lawns. There are over by about 47 million acres of lawn in the United States alone. The lawn, which takes more poisons, more glyphosate, more human resources than any other crop and does not provide food, is the physical foundation of humanity's suffering. When we take out the poisons and we put in regenerative edible landscapes that are less maintenance than a lawn, then we solve it all. The origin story starts... Before you get into the origin story, you've piqued my curiosity. And that sometimes happens on the show, by the way. It's very much a pitch and catch, but I do want to hear the origin story. But I want to make sure I understood this correctly. You're talking about most people in my neighborhood pride themselves on the appearance of our lawn. It looks nice. And if I'm hearing you right, the functionality of the lawn is more significant than the appearance of the lawn. And the functionality of the lawn could be used for the betterment of humanity as a whole. I don't want to summarize. I just want to make sure I understood. Summarize, brother. You nailed it. Henry Kissinger, 50 years ago, he stated multiple times on stages, if you want to control people, control food. The food supply chain is poisoned. Everything we know about growing food is wrong. Everything taught in our colleges and universities, which are subsidized by the government, which happens to mean mind control, is wrong. The truth of the matter is when we put in perennial edible landscapes, in fact, since we're doing this right now, I'm just going to show you outside my door. Right? I'll give you a quick tour just from outside my door. All right, listener, this is where the listener, you need to go to YouTube so you can go check out the video. So if you're on Spotify right now, come on over to YouTube so you can see what Jim is showing us. Jim, what are we seeing here? This is an edible landscape. 21 months ago, there was nothing here but sand. Now we have 230 different types of edible and medicinal crops surrounding our home. And guess what? This is one of the most incredible parts of it. There's less maintenance here than there is if this were a lawn. If we walked away for 30 years and came back and didn't do any maintenance, this food forest would turn into a jungle of food like the Amazon rainforest. And is that the backyard or the front yard? That's the side yard, and we've got tennis courts and stuff in the front, and we're building more houses in the food forest, and everything around us is going to grow up to be more and more food, which also, tell me, is that more or less beautiful than a lawn? What do you think? Would this be in the front of somebody's house? Is that what the proposal is? Imagine the front of a very nicely decorated house right now, a landscape. Yeah. The amount of energy and time and money that goes into the standard landscape, if we simply put in edible plants, which are also very beautiful, in place of plants that are only considered ornamental, if we just made that one switch along with taking the poisons out, 
we would, the 890 million acres of farmland would go back to nature. I'm selfishly thinking about, I'm looking outside, I'm looking at my neighborhood, I'm looking at, we have a little small little plot of lawn, it's not much, it's just I pay a guy to come out and mow it for us, right? My curiosity still lies in, in this small little area of lawn, if I wanted to flip the switch and say, I want to make my lawn consumable plants, medicinal plants, something that could be more beneficial to my family and to our livelihood in our future. However, I'm in a homeowners association and I need to make sure that there is standards or guidelines or whatever it is met there. What, because if what you just showed in the video was in my front lawn, it wouldn't be allowed with an HOA type of situation. So that's why I'm asking these second and third questions. And that could be because the HOA is the government. That's the man. Stick it to the man. Get out of the HOA. You got to go on your own land. You got to buy larger pieces of land. And so maybe I'm not the avatar, if you will, but there are things within what I can do in my confines within the HOA. Riff on that a little bit for me, Jim, please. I sure will. Do you have any trees or bushes in your front yard? There's one little tree here and there's a couple of bushes. Yeah. Okay, so that tree could be an apple, a peach, a plum, a pear, or whatever would go good in your zone. So it would be just the same amount of beauty, and it would have the added function of providing you hundreds of free healthy snacks per year. Those bushes could be raspberries or blueberries or blackberries or perennial lettuces, and they would have the same amount of beauty, but they would have the added function of providing you food. And so the HOAs, at first, when somebody says, I would like to put a food forest in my yard, the HOAs almost always say no. Then when somebody shows them one of our architectural designed blueprints, then the HOA says yes. Because what the HOA people are fearful of is property values, and they're fearful that of what they don't understand. So once they see the blueprint, which is a beautifully designed landscape, then they say yes. What I find so fascinating, and then I want to get into your origin story, is that you found a problem that you're clearly passionate about, and you aggressively went on a mission to help other people. And I'm assuming you've turned that passion into some sort of profitable business of some sorts for you and your livelihood and yourself and your family and your legacy, and also are helping other people. Listeners to the show, to the Better Than Rich show, I want you to hear it. The riches are in the niches because this is so niche that it's not gonna be for everyone. Although Jim's passion and excitement for this global belief, it could get people excited to say, I never really thought about that. I never knew that problem existed. Thanks for bringing my light to that problem. I think I'll take some action on that. But that can never exist unless the entrepreneurial spirit is tapped in and also that you are willing to bootstrap what Jim is about to share with us. So please, if there's anything else you want to share about the HOA and the front lawn and stuff, cool. But I would love to hear the origin story of how the heck did this come about? Okay, awesome. So I grew up, they called me nature boy. I've always loved nature. I was a wrestler in college. I wrote my goals for the first time. The coach had all of the team members write their goals. I was 19 years old. I was a redshirt freshman. And the three previous years had really sucked. And when I wrote my goals, I was on a lost part of my life. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And as I started dreaming, which is what writing goals is all about, 
as I started visualizing my future, I started dreaming about what could be possible for me. And the goals were stated in question. And so I read the question and I thought, I beat this guy once and I did pretty good in this tournament. So maybe I could be an All-American. And that thought was so exciting to me that my mind started expanding. And a couple months previous to writing the goals, I had listened to Dennis Waitley's The Psychology of Winning. It was one of the original kind of self-help books and tape, and it expanded my mind. So I wrote that I wanted to be a three-time All-American wrestler and national champion. And my coach laughed at me. He said, this is lofty, don't you think? And then he proceeded to tell me that goals are about pushing the boundaries of your abilities. I went exploded past what anybody thought was possible. And four years later, I ended up being a four-time All-American and national champion. And the part that I was the most shocked by to presence was I was a freshman at this time. And this was before I was an All-American even one time. And my college teammates, they elected me captain of the college team as a freshman, which is pretty rare in the NCAAs, if ever. Anyway, then I moved to Hawaii. I lived for four years in Hawaii. Then I traveled, I backpacked around the world, lived in Africa with the Maasai and lived in many different places. And then I was broke. So I got home. I was 29, turning 30 years old. I had 600 bucks. My parents let me live in their basement and drive the old car. And I wrote my goals again. Actually, while I was traveling, I wrote my goals. I took months to just visualize and read books, right? One of my favorite books is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's one of the best. And in that book, Napoleon studied the most successful minds and entrepreneurs in history. And he deducted whatever the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. I wasn't about to argue with Napoleon Hill So I wrote that I was going to have $3 million in three years. Now, I had a teaching degree with bartending experience. So when I shared my goals with my roommates, they literally laughed at me. And one guy, Pete, he got angry at me. He was like, Jim, that's not how it works. You're just crazy. Three and a half years later, my mortgage company that I started, without any knowledge of the industry, did $1.3 billion in gross revenue. And I made about $20 million. I bought a boat, lived on the ocean for a year. And then I found Costa Rica. And that's when everything happened in my world. It was already pretty exciting. But that's when I learned several things. First of all, I had two daughters. My first two. I have four daughters now. And when I had my first couple of daughters, my worldview changed for several reasons. One is because now there's something more important in the world than me. (laughs) There was something that I was willing to die for. At the same time, I red-pilled. I learned what was happening in the world and that we are destroying the planet with our use of poisons especially. And I learned the why and the how that we are destroying the planet. And then I also learned permaculture. Permaculture is an agricultural design science that has a set of ethics and principles. The ethics are very simple. People care, earth care, and fair share. Now, sharing is a voluntary act, and I like to point that out because some people think that sharing at the point of a government gun is actually sharing when it's not. That's called theft. 
So anyway, I red-pilled, I learned permaculture, and I had my first two daughters. And I went into 15 years of obsession, of scarcity. Obsession is a scarcity-driven emotion. And I went from $20 million to negative $80,000. It was three years ago. My last business was shut down thanks to the government intervention. And I was dead broke with no money, no income, and a family to feed. And I was weeping, I was walking, and I was asking for help. And I was open to that help. And something happened at that moment where I literally stepped into the frequency, the energy of faith and courage. I stepped into letting it all go and accepting the message from God is what I call it because I grew up in Minnesota, right? From the divine. And ever since then, the doors have opened up. The universe has literally shined a light on the path that is going to change the world. And that's what we're doing. We're going to change the world. We are going to inspire and empower a shift in awareness that leads to mass adoption of taking the poisons out of our life and becoming producers again, as well as consumers. And by the way, the number one poison is fear. When we take the fear out and we live in presence again, and we allow ourselves to be guided by this incredible system of, of abundance that we call earth, anything's possible. So Jim, there's tons to unpack here. And I really am glad that you're going down this and using a matrix methodology to this. That's good. I have a couple of directions I want to go and thank you for this. This is great. The first question I have is how old are your two daughters now? I have four. They're 19, 17, 14, and four. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have four daughters. I only heard about the two. So here's what I would be curious on. I'm a family man. I have two kids. My first question is, if I had to ask your four daughters, each of them, and you could give their names if you want, or you just use their age, what would each of them individually say about their dad? My first two are in San Francisco. And I had a relationship 18 years ago that I knew was not the right relationship. And then they were taken when I was living in Costa Rica to San Francisco. And it was the hardest. It was the experience of my life that was by far the most painful. Even though losing all the money, I didn't, that was irrelevant compared to my daughters being taken without my awareness to San Francisco. And then the feeling of shame that I had around that. Now, just a quick side note on that. I had that feeling until about seven or eight years ago when I went to several ayahuasca ceremonies with proper shamans and I transmuted that feeling of shame and anger and sadness to love. Because at the foundation of all of it is that I love them. And when I transmuted that energy from shame to love, it was like I was reborn. Now, my 14-year-old and 4-year-old live here with me in Central Florida. And my 14-year-old would say that I'm a little bit nuts, a little bit crazy. But she would also say that she has a deep respect for me, even though she might not say that right now at 14. She might say that when she's 17. <laughs> my four-year-old... She's a food forest girl. She's a nature girl. She wants to play with me every minute of the day. She wants to be in the field picking nature's candy. She wants to help me cook it. We went fishing the other day and we did the whole thing on film. We got set up. We caught fish. She reeled in her first fish. We filleted the fish. 
And then we took the fish guts and we buried them in the garden. And we talked about why. And then we cooked the fish and then we ate the fish together. So she is an absolute paradise. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you answering the question. Sometimes I'll go deep on a couple of things. So I have additional curiosities. And the reason why is because you said when you had the two daughters, that was like a big epiphany of I need to approach life even differently. And sometimes that happens for us. I can't speak on behalf of every man, but I know that happened with me when I stepped into fatherhood as well. I need to think differently about my time. I need to think differently about money and my purpose. And what I want to do is the patriarch of my households. And that's why I joined Front Row Dads. That's why I'm a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. That's how we're connected. I'm connected with Matt Drinkon as well and a couple hundred other men. So I really love that brotherhood because we are like-minded in that sense. One of the questions I have here. At this chapter of life, I want to make sure I understood this. You grew a mortgage company to a billion dollars in three and a half years or like responsible yeah. for a billion dollars. In gross revenue. In gross yeah, revenue in three yeah. and a half years. Were your daughters born at that time that you were building that business yeah. or did they come after the business was built or before? Like just timeline goes. Yeah. My first daughter was right at the end, actually probably six or eight months after I had left that business. So after you left the business, so you built that business, not without kids. Right. Okay, cool. So with that context, because a lot of entrepreneurs do listen to the show, we don't have to land here for that long, but I would be very interested in you just sharing or capturing for the listener because they're very business-minded how the hell did you grow a billion dollar gross revenue business in three and a half years? I know now you don't have the responsibilities of, of being a father, but like you went from living in your mom's basement with $600 in your pocket and then turned that into a three and a half years, a billion dollars. I'd love for you to just soapbox that in some way that would be yeah. helpful. And then we'll come back to the, to permaculture, which I had a Google to figure out the meaning of, but I'd land here for just a second. Okay. So yeah. So basically by not knowing much about the business and by not having any BS around the business, which means belief systems or bullshit, I simply flowed with the energy of it. It was amazing. It was guided. There are so many synchronicities and coincidences. And I witness this all the time where people come in and their minds are about ready to explode. You can see their grit, their teeth. They're like, how are you doing this? It's like, by being present, by just simply doing the right thing at the right time and fully committing. I was fully committed to that. And now with a lot more presence, I am fully committed to this. Got it. Cool. I appreciate you going down memory lane. I know that's not the focus right now, but maybe there's some gifts that a listener can get just from how to build something really large, really fast. And especially yeah. in the early 2000s. Last question I'll ask about this. With everything you know now to going back to where you were having this billion dollar gross revenue business, would you do anything differently to try to sustain some of that momentum to still carry into this season? Because it seems like that was left behind in that drop of your revenue. And again, it's not always about money, but you had that loss where you went yeah. to negative 80,000 from plus whatever it was, 20 million or whatever you said there. I think those were the numbers. That's right. Yeah. So if you... We're able to carry out this momentum into the future chapters of the future season. Maybe there was something to avoid those pitfalls, or maybe there was something with what right now that a listener could say, Ooh, thanks for the wisdom, Jim. I'm glad you learned those lessons, but thanks for sharing those lessons with me. Here's exactly what we did, Ron. When I started the business, it was 
me in my parents' basement, and I brought in a couple, a bunch of friends, and one friend knew more about computers than I did. He didn't know much about computers, but he knew more than I did, which wasn't very much, and he was in charge of the computer part. Another friend knew a little bit more about the industry than I did, and so he was in charge of connecting with the different um, lenders. And then another guy was a rookie. He was an accountant who literally just graduated that month. <laughs> and he became our accountant. We had a team of complete rookies in their different fields. And it was a while. If you've ever seen the movie, The Big Short, it completely nailed it. I mean, about the whole mortgage industry. And what I did first 11 months I was in the industry, by the way, I worked for three different companies. And each one of the companies, the first company couldn't get anything closed. The second company could get everything closed because they would just fake the documents. And I learned that when I got a couple months in, I'm like, wait a minute, you're creating W-2s on your computer? Then I left that company. Then I went to another company that had integrity, but they didn't have expansive goals. So anyway, I learned from these companies and then I started my own company 11 months in or so. And then when I left the company, this is where I made the huge mistake. So the company was all about the voluntary exchange of value. We had great processing and a foundation of excitement and ethics, and we didn't do the crazy shit that was getting everybody else in trouble. And so when I left, I had still at that time, I still had respect for the legal system and lawyer. And so I asked one of my friends who I made him the president when I left, and I bought a boat and I lived on the ocean. I bought a motor yacht, 42-foot carver motor yacht. And I was communicating by phone once a month from the ocean, which wasn't enough. But what we did is we hired a lawyer to come in and replace kind of me and create structure around the business. The lawyer came in and he looked at our contracts. And here's the thing. I did 400 contracts. I took a white piece of paper out, a blank piece of paper. And I said, I, I explained the revenue structure with the loan officer. And I said, if you could write that down for me, what you think I just said, they would write it down. I would look at it. We would both sign it. That was our contract. It was a one page contract about voluntary exchange of value. We had no hooks. We brought a lawyer in when I was, after I left, and the lawyer created a 22-page contract, and immediately about 20% of our top producers left the company. They said, Jim, this isn't what it's all about. This isn't what you created, and I'm going to go do some, my own thing. I don't want to be here anymore. Then the lawyer started acting lawyerly when things were going wrong. So for instance, we had a deal where one of the, but our loan officers did something shitty. So we paid the person who was harmed. We just paid them because they were harmed. But after we brought the lawyer in, the lawyer said, you don't have to pay that person. You didn't do anything wrong. I said, something wrong happened and it's on our watch. So let's pay the person. The lawyer started acting lawyerly, and then another 20% of the people left. And then six months later, the mortgage industry dropped by 60% in a two-month period. And when I left, everybody gave themselves raises. So our fixed income, our fixed expenses went from $98,000 a month to $220,000 a month. So everything happened at the same time. And then I came back, I sold the boat. I came back and I said, I'm either going to fire you and you or you buy me out. So they put together a few hundred grand and bought me out. At that point, that's all. I get. A year before that, it would have been so many millions. So I got a tiny bit of money out and I walked away and I washed my hands of it. 
So what I gather from, and thank you again so much for sharing this, because again, the lessons that we can draw out potentially is number one is the who's, right? Like the talent that you yeah. surround yourself with. So you started with a bunch of rookies. There wasn't much mentorship. There wasn't like learn from, right. learn with. It was just like the who's that you're surrounding yourself with and building your business with and the talent in there. And then number two is principles are important. And then people are really important. And if you're too principled with policy, it's this is the policy, you might lose the culture, the talent, and the people that helped you build the organization, which is important too. And then I think a third like little lesson there might be, again, I don't want to impose it, but you said once a month or once a week was all the communication. So if you're the business owner, I think getting the private yacht and going on the boat and all that time, like the timing of that it's hard to predict the marketplace and everything. So it's hard to justify like when would be that when is now the best time to do it. But I think with the decline and understanding the timing might have been a little off to to have too much freedom or the finger off the pulse. So business owners listening, I think those are really great lessons to just like store away as you're continuing to evolve and grow. So thanks for going there with us. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love sharing that story because, I mean, I learned so much. I couldn't be here now without learning. The- and that's what I'd like to go back to is what is here now, because what you're doing is you're taking on, like you said, what you say? Government means uh, mind control. Like you're taking on some really heavy. We've had many conversations on the show about conspiracy theory, about what we believe. I know Andrew and I are pretty vocal about being a little bit more center, a little bit maybe right of center, but like very much center with a lot of our beliefs, much more aligned with libertarian type of belief if we want to label it. But I don't speak up as much about that because I live my life from the lens of I want to be in control more so than trying to be vocal about it and trying to influence other people. But you're like really vocal about your beliefs. So I want to give you a platform to, hey, speak what you feel is the unspoken truth that other people would love to hear, but here's my challenge to you, Jim, is to phrase it in questions. So that would be my challenge. I love So questions. to speak the unspoken yes. to a listener that maybe yes. isn't as educated or informed, but posing it from yes. a lens of curiosity and a lens of question asking. And I give you the green light to go in whatever direction you want about government and poison. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with the question. How can we achieve mass adoption? of taking the poisons out and growing food instead of lawns. Oh, here's a better question. What would happen if we took the poisons out and grew food instead of lawns? When people land on the answer to that simple question, because here's what would happen. We would reverse deforestation and mass extinction. Cancer, diabetes, and heart disease would be gone. World hunger would be gone. And we would not be under the thumb of govern, which means to manage, control, or steer, and mente, which means mind. That's not an accident. So that's the fundamental question that I've been obsessed with for 16 years. And then what would happen if we attracted a group, and I'm getting messages from these people as we speak, generals and Green Berets and politicians. Like I just sat one-on-one with Bobby Kennedy the other day. And I said, Bobby, what I'm going to share with you now is the campaign strategy that will not only win the election, but the campaign itself will create peace on earth in the next 12 months. And he looked at me and he's okay, let's see it. Thought I was batshit crazy. Then I laid it out for him and he was inspired and he's coming here soon. I just talked to his people today 
and he'll be coming here to be witness to the solution to all the world's biggest problems that will literally lead to peace on earth. Is that the buildup to reveal the secret plan right now? Is that what you're about to do for us? Yeah. And guess what? It's not a secret plan. (laughs) It's a simple plan that's going to inspire you and all of your audience because it's so freaking logical. So I said, Bobby, I created these documents six months beforehand. A vision came to me, create these documents. So I had documents, one with Bobby Kennedy, one with Donald Trump, one with Ron DeSantis, and one with that black rapper guy that's running for president, Kanye, right? And each one of them had a claim. Bobby Kennedy's claim was, I'm going to reverse childhood diabetes and depression and suicide by taking the poisons out of the school lunches and the school land and the kids, the students will learn permaculture and every school we will become like a garden of Eden paradise and a nursery. Every school will be part of the new supply chain for food, for organic poison-free food. And the optics and the function of that campaign stop where Bobby's on his knees digging and planting plants with the students while giving the facts of the matter. And the facts are that when students learn gardening and these techniques, they're healthier, they're more connected, they're happier in every demonstrable and measurable way. So this is not a hypothetical solution to school reform. It's a demonstrated, proven solution to school reform, right? That's just one campaign stop. Then we've got Ron DeSantis in another picture. And by the way, Bobby, as I laid the pictures out, I showed him his first. And then he looked at the next picture and it was of Donald Trump. He goes, that's not me. I said, it could be. And anyway, so I'll go to the Ron DeSantis one. Ron DeSantis, the Florida state budget in 2021 was around $92 billion. And about 17% of that is spent on social services of different kinds. If 5% of the Florida state budget was spent in the way that I'm advocating and demonstrating, that would be $18 billion over four years. And $18 billion is $18,001 million food forest installations in the state of Florida. Every park becomes a Garden of Eden with infinite food supply. Every school, every church, every community center. Florida immediately, very quickly becomes a place of infinite health and abundance, which then demonstrates to the world what's possible, right? Then, so that's another campaign stop, putting food forests in parks and schools. The next one is prison. And, and anybody, please debate me on this. Please do the research on this and tell me where I might be mistaken. So this has been done before. The prison, they had a, a deal in California back, I think it was like 30 years ago, where inmates had gardening programs, not even permaculture programs, which are infinitely better than gardening programs, but they had gardening programs. And the recidivism rate went down by more than 60%. That one fact is mind-blowing. And not only that, partly because now, and by the way, the taxpayers for that one program save $40 million because now the inmates are growing their own food and they're learning a trade. They're learning the most important trade in our world today, and that's how to create life instead of death. Right. And then Kanye says, I will end world hunger. And this is so obvious as well. It's basically stacking all those things. And then here's how we create world peace. A a person like Bobby Kennedy, 
with our network, which now very quickly, I believe, will be with Joe Rogan. Uh, Tucker Carlson loves what we're doing. I believe we'll be talking with him and having him here and Bobby Kennedy. We bring these people together to shine a light on taking the poisons out and turning our army bases into food forest nurseries. When we turn the army bases and we invite the community leaders, the ethical ones in those communities, and we hand over the army bases, we take out the number one cause of recruitment for war, and that's fear and scarcity. Because now we hand back and we say, we are demonstrating that we are not going to be using force and violence against your community anymore. That creates peace on earth. And it's going to happen in the next 12 months. So I have a couple of follow-up questions here, Jim. Again, just going to poke around. Curiosity more so than anything. So poke. And we won't be able to spend so much time poking. But here's a couple of questions. Who's in control of these decisions right now? Because based on your hypothesis of what you're saying, it's the control of the president? I'm not under the impression that the president or a presidential candidate is actually the person who's making these decisions. I'm under the impression that he's like a puppet doing and saying things that he's being told to say or do things that is being told to do. And there's a lot of other decision makers behind him. So for me, my background is a big passion in the education system. So I'm going to park there just because that's I spent one year speaking 300 hours to the education system in Pinellas County and Clearwater, Florida and St. Petersburg, Florida, just trying to influence young people to think for themselves and think differently. So for you to say, this is how we're going to bring this in the education system and inspire nutrition. There is a lot of who's that are behind the decisions of putting new policy. That's essentially what this would be, putting a new policy in place. So how do we go from practicality? Because I don't know if that's the practical... Yeah, we're just, this is simple. It's so simple, but there's a lot of who's that would shut it down. So number one, who are the who's that would shut it down? And number two is what would their motives be? How could they be motivated? How might they be motivated to not shut it down? I'm so glad, Mike, that you asked these questions. Okay, so BlackRock is not only the name, it is the intention. By their fruit, you shall know them. By their deeds. What BlackRock invests in via a computer named Aladdin, and anybody can look this up. By the way, Larry Douglas Fink, look up what that means. Each one of those names, look up what that means. And then look up the computer named Aladdin that makes all the bets for BlackRock. The computer was programmed with Met. So you asked a lot of questions, and I'm going to give you a lot of answers that are going to blow some people's mind. But in Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, know thyself, know thy enemy. In a thousand battles, a thousand victories. Who are we? This is a temporary experience. We are bigger than this. So when we rise our frequency, like Tesla referred to, when he said, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration, but don't think, feel the frequency, the energy, the vibration of what I call God, right? And somebody else might call this something else because they were born in China or wherever, right? I don't hate those people because they have a different name for what I call God. Hatred is the mechanism of control. So you're right. The pawns that we call presidents are not the leaders, but calling them out and inviting them to participate and inviting them to use their platforms. That's the key. We, the people, are the key to winning the war, right? It's our duty to our posterity to write a new book called The Art of Peace. So how do we do that? By demonstrating it. And when we bring in the influencers, 
to shine a light on this, which is incredibly logical. Number one, we take the poisons out, the true green, the massy. We inspire these entities that are currently investing in death and actually propagating death. Glyphosate is illegal in almost all other countries, yet it's subsidized here even though they've paid $11 billion in fines. They're still putting it all over. There's something divine happening. This is the big war, and the way to win the war is this. Now, I'll share one other series of quick facts, and then we might need to wrap it up. It's your call. I'd like to ask the question, my friends, go online and ask these three or four questions. How much were the first Apple computers sold for? All right, ask that question. Then go online and look up the Microsoft patent, which is human bodily activity and cryptocurrency. And look at the number on that patent. It's 22, I'm just gonna give it away, right? The first Apple computers were sold for 666. 666. The apple is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It has an apple with a bite on it, right? And they want to put this apple in a chip in your hand or your forehead, which represents your actions and your thoughts. And then the Microsoft patent, that technology relates us to human bodily activity and cryptocurrency. That turns us into batteries. And then you've got the trace bill, which is in Congress. And you can look this up, HR 6666 tracing, reaching, and contacting everyone. Now, that's a law to enforce the patent that is spoken about in Revelations. And I'm not a biblical guy. That just blows my mind. But please look it up as yourself and then let go of all fear and all scarcity and we rise above it. We didn't get permits to build any of this stuff here. We didn't ask for permission to do what we're doing. And the government is leaving us alone because we are above government. We are directly connected somehow through some divine way. There's something magical happening. First and foremost, again, Jim, love your passion. I think if anyone is listening and you have different beliefs from Jim, which is fine, but you take anything away is, can you be this passionate about something? And can you build a business that allows you to level leverage that passion and create some sort of positive change that you believe is important. And I think that's what I'm gathering from this. I don't necessarily need to say who I think is going to create the biggest change in the world that we live in. I think that because of my business, I believe, who do I serve? I serve busy entrepreneurs. Why do I serve busy entrepreneurs? Because I believe entrepreneurs are those who are going to create the massive change that we want to see in the world. So therefore, I'm going to serve that audience. If Jim believes that we the people are going to create the change in the world, he is going to inspire the people by partnering up with influencers to also inspire those people to create different change in their communities that they live in or just with their own homes that they're, that they, the residents that they live in. I think that's beautiful. What's in your reach? What's in your genius? What are your passions? And then what is your rally cry? How could you get other people inspired from that? And just for the record, because I Googled it, permaculture is an approach to land management and settlement design that adopts arrangements observed in flourishing natural ecosystems. It includes a set 
of design principles derived using whole systems thinking, according to Google, just so you know. So <laughs> just because I haven't used that word, I had to Google it. Jim, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we do ask every uh, guest three questions to wrap up each episode. And I'm sure there's going to be a handful of people who are going to be really excited to continue this conversation with you. So we'd love to stay in touch. So the first question is that we ask every guest is, what do you think the world needs most today? And these are short hitting questions or whatever comes top of mind. What do you think the yeah. world needs most today? Awareness. We are going through the apocalypse, which means lifting the veil or the great reveal, the great awakening, the ascension. We need awareness. We need to inspire and empower awareness. Great. I know you mentioned a few in the episode. What are one to three books that you think people should read? Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, Hawkins, Power Versus Force. And I like Living with the Himalayan Masters by Swami Rama. Thank you. A couple new ones there. And our third and final question is, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? Present. To be here now experiencing this incredible thing that we call life. Jim, tell us, where could someone hang out with you offline if they want to stay in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're doing with anything that you're up to right now, but specifically Food Forest Abundance or anything else? Where could they go to check out and stay in touch? Oh, sorry about that. So we, I live in Galt's Landing. It's Galt's, G-A-L-T-S, landing.farm. It's named after John Gall from Atlas Shrugged. We have a completely off-grid paradise community, and we have Airbnbs. We've created a business model, the whole business model around scaling this vision globally. So come stay with us at Gall's Landing. You'll love it. And then if anybody wants to be part of our mission and our vision in any way, go to Food forest abundance that's foodforestabundance.com and you can even set up a meeting with one of our strategists and it's free it's a 30-minute meeting with a professional permaculture designer and we can help you on the path to being completely self-reliant and free great and that's foodforestabundance.com and then you yeah. said galtlanding.farm was that the yeah Galt's, G-A-L-T-S, landing.farm. Galt's Landing. I'm typing into my browser right now. Galt's Landing.farm, you said? Yes. Cool. I see it here. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And truly, thank you for bringing just a whole new way of looking at things. I live here in St. Augustine, Florida. We just moved here from Tampa. So we're actually oh, neighbors. So maybe it's something that we yeah. a trip out of at some point. So... Thank you so much, Jim, for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and serving your passion in the world that we live in. And listener, obviously, we can't have the show without you. So thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for tuning in and listening today. And assuming this show, this episode helped you share it with a friend, you can follow us on YouTube, you can follow us on social media. And also, if you don't know, Better Than Rich, we are constantly evolving our services. So some people know, some people don't, but we have our virtual assistant services pillar right now available. That is AI informed virtual assistants that you can go have a team of individuals working for you as you just not buy you. You could check that out at va.betterthanrich.com. And we also have our operator owner coaching program. If you want to build up your own business and build up some systems for your business, we'd love to have a conversation with you. You could go to betterthanrich.com slash free call and uh, book a call with someone on our team. It's a non-sales call. We'll help you out. So again, till next time, as always leave today better than you found it. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. 
To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.